What's up, everybody, and welcome to the Battlefield Theologian Podcast. I am your host, Ethan Jago, and I am the lead pastor at Five Bridges Church in Panama City Beach. And this podcast, we talk about matters of theology, apologetics, and being able to uh, understand what you believe, why you believe, and really just bringing theological and apologetical issues to the people so that way they can search God's word and find what truth is for themselves. Today's podcast is going to be talking about, if you've not heard of the Federal Vision, uh, it's going to be talking about Federal Vision, but specifically uh, we're going to be looking at Doug Wilson and the viewpoint of proponents holding to the Federal Vision statement in their doctrine of justification by faith alone or sola fide. So if you're not sure, if you're asking, well, what is it? What does it mean? Is this something I should be looking into? Is it biblical? Is it reformed? Let me just read uh, what it is that they state about what they are. The federal vision, uh, or this is kind of, I guess, my summary. The federal vision is a recent theological and ecclesiastical movement within the reformed paedo-baptists uh, who hold to covenantal theology. And so their goal is to work out uh, a consistent covenantal or what they're calling federal vision for the church, specifically focusing on the objectivity of the covenant and the implications that plays into theology and other matters of the church. And this came out in 2002 um, through the Auburn Avenue Pastors Conference at Auburn Presbyterian Church. And there's a lot of different speakers on this uh, who signed this and everything else. Um, Doug Wilson's one, John Barak, Steve Wilkins, and Steve Schlissel. And what I'm going to do here is I'm just going to jump into this. Uh, and this is a quote from their website of federalvision.com. Uh, and this is kind of like their statement of what it is that they're about. And here's what they say. Uh, you can go check this out at federal-vision.com. Here's what they say about what it is that they believe and everything else on everyone who signed off on this statement of belief. On the other side, there are many people, this is, this is the quotation, so there are many people who should be considered as full and friendly participants in the Federal Vision conversation who cannot sign this statement, even though they might want to. Because of one or two issues, Pato communion, say, or post-millennialism, this statement is not drawing the borders of our fellowship, and it certainly does not represent any club from which we are trying to exclude people, end quote. Now, here's another quote that they have here. We offer this statement in good faith and pray that it will do the same or it will do some good in promoting unity in the broader church. At the same time, we recognize that some of our differences with our brothers in Christ are subsystematic and may not be obvious on the surface on the level of systematic theology. What one writer described as looking like the same theology, different religion, end quote. So this is um, an issue where if you start listening to some of these guys in their podcasts and their YouTube channels, uh, in one instance, uh, listening to Doug's view on pedo-baptism, and he was kind of not bashing, but not being very, uh, I guess you could say gracious talking about systematic theology, but then he was talking about when you look at the uh, systematics of baptism and covenantalism to its logical end, uh, that is what converted him from being a traditional, quote-unquote, what he says, Southern Baptist into what he is now. So moving into their federal vision statement, when you go onto their website, you can see several different statements that they have in bold letters. Uh, and I don't have time to get into all of these. And here's the, here's the interesting thing about them, is if you're not careful 
it sounds it sounds fine. It sounds right. Uh, and you may read through it and be like, yeah, I don't really see much issue with that. But like their statement said earlier, it's same theology, different religion, and um, they're holding to different, I guess you could say, expanding their borders of fellowship uh, and everything else that they're looking at. And they're trying to promote unity in the broader church. Now, when you start to question and hone in on some of their core beliefs and you start to peel back the onion on really what they're saying, there's a lot of stuff baked into what they say with their belief system that affects uh, historical understandings on classical theology and specifically within the Reformed tradition. Uh, it, it It's really interesting, too, because you see these these guys on Twitter and everything else, and they're just out there just, I mean, going after it. Um, and if you're not careful, you'll bite off on what they're saying. And so I'm just going to bring up some quotations from interviews, from quotes, but also what it is that they're stating. So on their website, you can go down and you can look at kind of their, their belief systems here. And the one that I'm looking at is the one uh, from uh, January the 22nd of 2007. And so here is their statement on sola fide or faith alone. But there are also important agree areas of disagreement or ongoing discussion among those who are identified as federal vision advocates. Some of these areas would include, but not limited to, whether or not the imputation of the act of obedience of Christ, as traditionally understood, is to be affirmed in its classic form. Some of us affirm this and some do not. Another difference is whether or not personal regeneration represents a change of nature in the person so regenerated. Some of us say yes, while others question whether we actually have such an essence that can be changed. All of us would affirm that we should have a high view of covenant renewal liturgy, but this does not necessarily mean that we all agree on how high the liturgy should actually be, end quote. So even within this, there's, there's, it's baked in here. You may have picked up on it, but um, <clears throat> it says it here. Some area of these areas would include, but not limited to, whether or not the imputation of the act of obedience of Christ, and then they put this in parentheses, as traditionally understood, is to be affirmed in its classic form. So there's a level of grayness here in which it sound, they really just speak out of two sides of their mouth. Because they say, some of us affirm this and some do not. Okay, so what is it? Do you or do you not? And to what level are you agreeing with the act of obedience and the imputation? Well, we're going to unpack that here in a second based off of specific quotes that one of the proponents of this, well, says that he's not, but still looks like he is. And then another thing, it says another difference is whether or not personal regeneration represents a change of nature in the person. So regenerated. I don't understand what they're saying here. Are, is the individual regenerate? Or are they unregenerate? Or is there a potential regeneration? It's very, very gray here. And I'm going to unpack exactly what I think that they're meaning here based off of what they are asserting in other instances. So again, you've got to be very careful when you're reading through this stuff and put your thinking cap on. So here, here's a, another quotation they have. Uh, Some of us are comfortable using the language of justification to describe the della de veredict of the last day, while others would prefer to describe it in other ways. That said, we are all agreed that no one is justified at any time because they personally have earned or merited anything. Some of us robustly affirm Christ's unique merit in his person and work as the answer to our demerit. Others think that there are better words to describe the value and worthiness of Christ's sacrifice without recourse to the term merit because it is not biblical language. 
and it's used both in the history of the church and currently shows that it can cause confusion, end quote. So again, even with this, they're saying some of us uh, uh, believe and adhere to this while other of us don't. Well, if you're getting people to sign off on this and these are pastors now preaching, well, what is it? What is it that you affirm? And if you're a member of these churches, what is it that you're going to be hearing in regards to the penal substitutionary atonement? And what what is our right standing, our legal status of justification? So when we look at this, and you may be thinking, what's the big deal? Luther said this about sola fide during his time in 1570. He says this, is that sola fide is the doctrine on which the church will stand or fall. And that is what really just brought uh, his whole reformation to light against the Roman Catholic Church is because what he was observing, it was faith mixed with works. It was faith mixed with merit. It wasn't faith alone, which is why, you know, when you hear of the Reformation, you usually will hear of the five solas. And so the sola fide uh, is just one of the five. And this is, again, a very important one, if not the most important one. So here's some scriptural references for how we need to understand what is the biblical precedence for understanding justification by faith alone. And then I'm going to get into some of the quotations and we're going to unpack this, but we've got to start with a foundational understanding of the doctrine of justification. So in Romans chapter one, verse 17, it says this, for in the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. So the righteousness of God is revealed from faith. So we receive this God, we receive this faith from God for the belief and for the possession of faith. Now in Romans 10, 10, it says this, for with the heart, one believes and is justified and with the mouth, one confesses and is saved. So when you look at this, we understand it is by grace through faith. It's not of ourselves. We confess Christ and we are saved and we are regenerated. <coughs> Excuse me. So the, the key to understanding what we're talking about here is in first off with re, in regards to regeneration, it's the cart before the horse dilemma is the cart before the horse or is the horse before the cart. Do we receive faith before works or works before faith, or do we receive faith for works and do those works add to our right standing before God? Does mankind participate with God in the process of faith or does man choose God? And then the bigger question is, is how can sinful man stand before a holy, just, and perfect God? Well, the only way that we can do that is through the Son. How do we get from A to B? How do we get from dead in our flesh to alive in Christ? Because Romans 3, 10 through 18 says, As is written, no one is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good. Not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive the venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood and their paths are ruin and misery. In the way of peace, they have not known. There is no fear before the eyes of God. And then Paul says this in Romans 3. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. That's key right there. I want you guys to remember that. The righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and prophets bear witness to it. Verse 22, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe, for there's no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. So we see here in verse 24, and are justified, right? That, that is a declaration that has happened. It's not a progressive, right? It's, it's not 
It's not a potentiality of what could be. It is a statement of fact. Verse 25, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. And this was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. See, the big thing here that Paul is hammering and he continues to hammer both in Romans, but also in Galatians is the differentiation between the law and the gospel. Is the law still at play here in the gospel? Because if you think about old covenant believers, the law was what they were to follow for a type of right standing. And the book of Hebrews unpacks all of this, that all of those sacrifices and everything was not enough to have perfected them for salvation. And it wasn't until Christ's coming and the sacrifice and atoning work he did on the cross that there could be that state of perfection when the person believes and is regenerated in Christ. But I want you to remember that. The righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. You're going to see why this is so important in a second. We see, though, in this in this text and in these verses that justification is by faith alone since it cannot be attained by works. And I want to throw in there, too, justification is not maintained by works that you do. Now, in Galatians 2.16, Paul addresses this yet again. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through how faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. Now, think about that. We have believed in Jesus Christ in order to be justified by faith. So being justified by faith happens when we have belief in Christ Jesus and this justification and faith is not by works of the law, because as Paul says here at the end of verse 16, works of the law, no one will be justified. Now, here is why I'm unpacking this, and I'm going to get into some quotations here. Now, a, a big issue here, um, one is his view on pedo-baptism, which I'm going to skip over. I had this in my show notes, but I'm not going to talk about that because this podcast will go way too long. We'll probably have an additional podcast on the pedo-baptist's view uh, and everything else like that. But he, here's what I want to say here. Here is their statement again on justification by faith alone. All right. Here's their, it, it's just funny because the, the, the word play here, they're incredibly brilliant individuals, but they've got a word play going on uh, with what they're saying and how they're saying it. Um, here's what they say here. We affirm we are saved by grace alone through faith alone. Faith alone is the hand which is given to us by God so that we may receive the offered grace of God. Justification is God's forensic declaration that we are counted as righteous with our sins forgiven for the sake of Jesus Christ alone. Here's the next quote. We deny that the faith, which is the sole instrument of justification, can be understood as anything other than the only kind of faith which God gives, which is to say a living, active, and personally loyal faith. Justifying faith encompasses the elements of assent, knowledge, and living trust in accordance with the age and maturity of the believer. We deny that faith is ever alone, even at the moment of the effectual call, end quote. So right there, you see several different things here is that faith alone is the hand which is given to us by God so that we may receive the offered grace of God. Now, I'm not trying to nitpick here because I think they're not saying what I'm, it sounds like they're saying, it doesn't seem like they're saying that, you know, we still have some form of choice. I, I don't think that they would acknowledge this, but it certainly means or reads as if we are responding or that we are the first initiators potentially, you know what I mean? So 
Now, here's what's interesting. James White recently interviewed Wilson. And if you haven't had the chance to listen to that interview, I, I wish that James White would have vectored in more on some clarifying questions. But here's what Wilson responds back to James White regarding this uh, issue of justification. This is Wilson talking here. This is the issue. The debate at the beginning of the Reformation and down to the present, the debate between Protestants and Catholics was about imputed righteousness and infused righteousness. All right. Imputed righteousness and infused righteousness. But the debate between Protestants and Catholics was not over the existence of imputed righteousness or the existence of infused righteousness. Both sides affirmed it. The Roman Catholics said that infused righteousness was part of your justification. It was included in it. I'm saying together with all my Protestant fathers and all my Protestant brothers, I'm saying that justification is an imputation function alone. So we believe in Christ by God given faith. God enables us to believe and he imputes the righteousness of Jesus Christ to me. The righteousness of his whole life and righteousness sacrifice on the cross. That is imputed to me and that is my justification with no remainder, no pieces sticking out anywhere. See, the problem is my justification in order to function has to be perfect. I cannot be content with a decree of not guilty mostly. I need a not guilty. I need a declaration of righteousness. And if my justification is based in any way upon infused righteousness, i.e. my sanctification in this life, it's always imperfect. So if infused righteousness is part of my justification, that means my justification is imperfect, which means I'm sunk. I'm lost. So my justification that establishes my status as a child of God has to be perfect. But the next morning when I wake up, I've got to obey God or not. I've got to re read my Bible or not. I've got to believe what it says or not. So end quote that right there, that is indicating a justification, not alone, but justification and then response of obedience or another word that we would be more familiar with is works because he says this. I've got to obey God or not. I've got to read my Bible or not. I've got to believe what it says or not. So when you when you heard that statement from him is when we are declared justified, when we are saved, is that justification? Are we declared righteous or are we declared partly righteous? Well, the historic reform view is we are declared righteous once and for all. It was a perfection amount of of grace, grace alone, by faith alone, in Christ alone, that we are in fact declared righteous to a perfect level. Now, we don't live perfect. We do need to obey. But what Wilson is saying here is that it's obedience that is what is verifying the justification, not just obedience verifying the justification. Obedience is kind of married hand in hand with justification. See, that's the issue right there. That is the issue. And so here's another quote from Wilson uh, attesting to his viewpoint on sola fide or his lack of thereof. And I don't know what this means here, but this is what he says in his blog post, like a gelatinous pudding. In the New Testament, obedience is a good word. Also in the New Testament, works is not, unless it is modified with a word like good. We are called to good works, Titus 2.7, but we are not saved by works. So I don't know what he's saying here. Obedience is a good word, okay? Works is not, okay? But what he's saying then is if we have the word good with obedience, then that's okay. But he's still emphasizing here a type of justification following through in a faithful life. And he put this on one of his lesson, I think it's lesson number four on uh, his reform view on justification. It's faith to faith, faithing, 
faithfulness. Uh, it's just a lot of different faith words. So here's what he continues to say here too. By way of contrast, sinners do not obey the truth. The Lord is the author of eternal salvation for all who obey him. So there he is implying again, obedience necessary for this justification. God gives the Holy Spirit to those who obey him. But the bottom line is that simple words, obey and obedience should not set off alarm bells for people who read their Bibles. So this is what he's saying is that it's faith plus some works, faith and obedience coupled with the word good. Now you're good to go. Now, let's define what faith is real quick. And I'm going to Ligonier for how we would define faith and Ligonier Ministries is phenomenal. So the Protestant reformers recognize that biblical faith has three essential aspects, nocia, ascensus, and fiducia. Nocia refers to the content of faith or those things that we believe. We place our faith in something or more appropriately someone in order to believe we must know something about that someone and that someone who is the Lord Jesus Christ. A census is our conviction that the content of our faith is true. You can know about the Christian faith and yet believe that it is not true. However, genuine faith says that the content, the notia taught by the Holy Scriptures is true. And then fiducia refers to personal trust and reliance, knowing and believing that the content of the Christian faith is not enough. For even demons can do that, according to James 2.19. Faith is only effectual if knowing about and assenting to the claims of Jesus, one personally trusts in him alone for salvation. So we see this. We see these three aspects of faith is that it is a faith that is not blind. It is a faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And that faith can only be a genuine faith. You can't believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. There's no way you can do that unless it is genuine. You can know he exists, but belief and knowing is completely different. And then the last portion of this is that faith is effectual when you know, and you not just know, but you assent to the claims of Jesus. And what did Jesus claim? To be the son of God. And then that personal trust enables that individual because the Holy Spirit empowers them to have salvation. So it's all a work of Christ through the Holy Spirit. It's the Spirit's work of us. And immediately upon the regeneration preceding faith, because the only way mankind can respond to faith is by having a regeneration of the soul from stone to flesh, is to be able to acknowledge and capitulate the life of the individual dying to self, alive in Christ, by the work of the Holy Spirit. And that's it. That's done. No more. Like, that's it. Now, granted, I'm not saying that the Christian life ends there, but what I'm saying is the work is done. Christ completed the work on the cross. So when you think about sola fide, when you believe in Christ, and the only way you can truly genuinely believe in Christ and know that you believe in Christ is because the Holy Spirit has enabled you to do so. Because Romans 1 and 2 talks about this is that mankind is not in a neutral state and there's other sections too in the new testament mankind is not in a neutral state but are in hostility hostility towards god so they cannot no one is righteous no not one no one seeks after god okay so if that's the case so then how was it that i first had faith well because god pursued me look at romans or excuse me acts chapter 9 when saul was on his road the road to damascus he was not looking for christ he was actually going to go kill christians then jesus intercedes on that road to damascus and says saul saul why are you persecuting me and then immediately the disposition of saul has now changed because why would saul lament and obey 
and go into the city and await for further instructions. And then Jesus sends Ananias to go and heal his eyes. And then he starts immediately ministering the word. The only way he could obey, the only way you can obey God is because you've already be re, been regenerated. And so that's the difference between common grace and saving grace. Common grace is grace that God extends to every sinner on earth so that they can stay alive. Otherwise, mankind deserves to die, right? So common grace is that grace that goes to everybody for just being alive on this earth, but saving grace is much different. And when you are saved, you are justified, you are declared righteous, you are declared holy before God. Because answering that question, how can sinful man stand before holy God, it is because of what Jesus Christ has done. So let's look at some more views here. When you see this, this is Doug Wilson uh, from his book, Reformed is Not Enough, um, recovering the objectivity of the covenant. He says this, in the historic Protestant view, good works are inseparable from biblical salvation. Okay, just let that sink in. Because this is the case. James can speak of justification by works. So right there, you see that Doug holds to a two-stage understanding of what justification is. We are justified and remain justified if we remain faithful. And how do we remain faithful? By doing good works. So here, same book, Doug Wilson says this again. This means by which men persevere in the covenant is faithfulness. Do you see that? Men persevere in the covenant is faithfulness. So we see again this twofold understanding of men must remain faithful to persevere in the covenant until the end in which Christ comes back. Now, he again was interviewed by Christian Renewal Magazine, uh, and Douglas Wilson was asked this. Doug, when you cite continuing in goodness in Romans 11 in your 2002 lecture, is that the cause of our salvation or the fruit of it? Wilson replied, Look, in Colossians, Paul says you receive Christ, so walk in him. So the way we become Christians is the way we stay. Christians is the way we finish as Christians by faith from first to last. So we continue in God's goodness by trust. We stand by faith. They fell, but you stand doing that to the end is how you come to your salvation. It's the gift of God, lest anyone boast. I believe we are saved by faith from the first to last, which is why I've been accused of denying sola fide. It's right there, end quote. It's right there. We stand by faith. They fell, but you stand doing this word. Doing is implying an action on behalf of the creature. Doing that to the end is how you come to your salvation. So wait a minute. Even in this statement here, are you saved? Like if, if, if you confess Christ and you die the next day, are you going to heaven? Like this, this is a question I would want a distinction with because what he's saying here is that by you continuing, like it's almost like you have to live a life of faithfulness in order to receive that salvation at the end. This is what his quote is saying. So my question is, is are you saved by faith or are you not? Did you, did the work of Christ and his righteousness that's imputed upon you on salvation, did that, that actually save the individual or did that have the potential to save the individual? That's a huge question. And the next question is, is can that individual lose their salvation according to Hebrews 6? Well, I read into some of his views and we don't have time to get into that, but that's the biggest question I would say as well. So what R. Scott Clark writes is on the Federal Vision view is this is this is what he says. This double justification doctrine, initial justification by faith alone, followed by a second justification according to works in eschatological judgment, end quote. So right there, Scott Clark beautifully summarizes what it is that Doug is saying in this point. What Doug's saying is that there is an initial justification that is done by faith alone, which is why he can still agree to a point that he believes in sola fide. 
But he's also saying that there is now a second justification according to works done in eschatological, uh, eschatological judgment. So I've pulled up some other quotes here um, from Reformed Dogmatics, and this is what he says here. Sola fide was denied in favor of the meritoriousness of intellectual sin as preparation for the infused grace of justification. So he's talking about the reform view uh, from what Luther did against the Roman Catholic Church. Also, Herman says this, atonement and justification are already objectively actively present in Christ as the fruit of his work and are appropriated by the believer by the spirit of Christ. All is finished. God has been reconciled. Nothing remains to be added from the side of humans, end quote. That right there just sums it up. Nothing else is needed from humans in order to maintain salvation, in order to remain justified. But the problem is, is what is the view of the law in the Old Testament and the gospel? Because that's really what's happening here is, is the law still active? Did the gospel, did God, by sending his son Jesus, now is the gospel replacing the law? What's the role and relevancy of the law? Did God come to remove the law? Did Jesus redeem, fulfill the law? And then now we understand by grace through faith in Christ alone because we don't have to do works anymore. So these are the questions that we need to be thinking about is what's this law gospel distinction that I was talking about earlier with what Paul was unpacking. If the law is adding anything to our salvation, then what is it that Jesus did? Right. But what we know in the new Testament, in the new covenant is that's not the case. Um, we no longer observe the law, ceremonial law or anything else, which that gets into the pedo communion, pedo baptism and everything else that these individuals purport. Uh, it, it's just very interesting when we look at this. We need to understand, though, that the, anyone that adheres to the joint federal vision statement states that there is faith that leads to faithfulness in order for justification, which then includes works as a part of our justification. That's interesting. That, that's just really interesting. And we just need to be careful and cautious with this. Um, I've ran out of time for this podcast. Uh, I hope this makes sense. But if you've taken nothing away, I need you to study, look at sola fide, the justification of faith alone. It's nothing that we do. It's nothing that we can do. It's nothing that we have to maintain. Christ does that on our behalf. Christ has already done that. Christ has already completed it. There's nothing else we contribute. There's nothing else we can contribute. If we are truly regenerated, we want to obey Christ, but our obedience to Christ is not dependent on maintaining our justification. It's completely independent. It's completely separate. That's why it says sola. Now, Wilson even says he doesn't like the solas, so he tries to use the word totas or totals, right? Total faith, total Christ, whatever. But be careful, be cautious. This stuff's out there. There's more to it here. I'll probably do some more podcasts in the future on this. Um, I apologize if this podcast seemed a little breaky. Uh, I'm recording this in my office, and uh, I didn't realize how late it was in the day here. We actually have a men's group about to meet for a Bible study. So I apologize if this one seems a little disconnected or if my thoughts seem a little disheveled. I was uh, interrupted a few times, which is totally fine because uh, it's really exciting to see the men coming here to our church uh, here at Five Bridges. Hey, if you are in the Panama City Beach area and you don't have a church, or if you want to come check out our church, Panama City Beach, look at Five Bridges Church. Sunday mornings, we're doing a verse-by-verse -verse study through the book of Acts. 
And on Wednesday evenings, we are going through Foundations of the Faith, where we're looking at different doctrinal beliefs that we teach here at Five Bridges. Last week, we just wrapped up the attributes of God, talking about the aseity of God. This next week, we're looking at the person and the work of Jesus Christ, uh, because this is something we've got to, as Christians, understand and wrap our minds around, because there is the increasing attacks, as, as there always have been, on the penal substitutionary atonement and fulfillment of what Christ did on the cross for us. Was that the right case? Was Jesus enough? What's the distinguishing characteristics? How can we wrap our minds, if we can, around the hypostatic union of God coming in the flesh? So Sunday mornings at 1015 is our service. Wednesday evenings at 6 o'clock is when our classes kick off on the midweek. Thank you so much, guys, for joining and listening to the Battlefield Theologian podcast. If you have any questions or if there's any particular topic you'd like for me to address, let me know. Um, shoot me a review. Hit me up <clears throat> in an email. Uh, and also, I'm very excited. I'm going to be having a special guest come on next week uh, whenever that podcast airs. It was a former seminary professor of mine, Peter Gaiman. Uh, he's got his podcast, The Bible Sojourner. Uh, incredible. Love this guy. So smart and knowledgeable. I'm really excited. We're going to be talking about the traditionalism that has invaded the church that has kind of made things seem as if this is normal when in fact it's actually traditionalism that has kind of invaded our thought process. But thanks again for joining me at the Battlefield Theologian Podcast. Hope you guys have a blessed day.